Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 254 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for hanging out here today. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to let you know that something real exciting is coming up on June 22nd. It's something that I'm really excited to share. It's something that I've talked about before, but it's coming around again. And this time it is like next level. It's version 2.0 of the craft beer label design course. Not just craft beer though, any label design. This year we have gone big. We are talking about all kinds of different case studies on actual label design projects that are out there in the world. We're doing a deep dive on Adobe Dimension and how to take your flat design files and create beautiful mock-ups to present your ideas to your clients and so much more in this course. It does not open. The doors do not open until June 22nd. But if you want to be the first one to get noticed and have the opportunities to access some of these sweet bonuses that we're including, go to printdesignacademy.com and start your label training right now with a free guide to 10 label designs, how they were made, what the process was, tips on the file setup, and all that kind of jazz. But mark your calendars, June 22nd, the second launch of the Craft Beer Label Design course, and it's version 2.0. Head over to printdesignacademy.com to get on that list to be the first to find out and start your label training there. So today's guest, today's guest, today's guest is Mr. Steve Green. He is a senior creative director at Nike, this little company, little company you might have heard of out of Portland, Oregon. During this episode, we talk about what it was like to literally drop everything to go work at Nike for that opportunity to work at Nike. He shares with us about back in the day, he was always drawing as a kid, usually cars, then started getting into that uh, skate culture and some of that skate art and graphics that were really, really inspirational to a lot of creatives coming up. He then tells us a story about a part about midway in his career at Nike up to this point um, where, where he faced some struggles, some troubles, and, and how he got through those. He also shares with us the Nike skateboarding project that he thought he absolutely nailed. He thought it was awesome, but it didn't quite end up the way that he had expected, and he didn't find out until he was presenting the idea in front of 20-plus pro skateboarders all sharing their opinions around the room. He then talks about an artist-in-residence project that he was a part of, why he's so proud of it, and so much more, including red herrings. Yeah, you heard that, right? Red herrings. And what those are. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is packed with Steve's story, his experiences, and lessons learned, and he brings it and shares that with you, the listeners. So let's get to it. My guest, Mr. Steve Green. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. 
and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a quickie? Steve, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you, man? Great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm happy to get into this. Excited to hear your story and your journey. But before we get too far, Steve, are you ready for a quickie? <laughs> yes, I am. Atta boy. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to kick it over to you now and briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, yeah. My name is Steve Green. I'm 42 years old, uh, living in Portland, Oregon. I'm a senior creative director at Nike. I've been out here in Portland with Nike for about 10 years. Prior to that, I lived in New York for about 10 years, and I worked all over the place in New York City. Um, and then I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so went to art school there, and after school, just packed up all my things and headed to the East Coast with no money in my pocket, but tried to make it work, and here I am. <laughs> yeah, the classic dice roll. I love it. It totally, it 100%. It's so Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that's like the home of the ducks, right? Uh, no. <laughs> was <Is> it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what you call it. Those like the, the, the trucks that can like go on the water. Oh, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. I thought you were thinking of like a sports team. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> home of the mighty ducks, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. No, not, not those ducks. <laughs> but no, yeah, the, the car, boat. Yeah, those the boat, things are. The boat trucks. Yeah, that's still one of like yeah, my no. my memories of like a family vacation. My parents did a bunch of road trips down through the states, and one of my one of the road trips that we were on, we stopped in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and yeah. we we rode like the ducks. It was like this tourist attraction when you were when you were yeah. in town. <laughs> yeah, that, I hadn't thought about the ducks in a very long time, but they are a very <laughs> big part of the state. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Cool, man. So, so it's it. Before we get too far deep here, Nike is like one of those organizations that a lot of designers look up to and like, man, you know, I'd, I'd love to do some work for Nike one day. Did you have that same sort of drive that landed you there or did it just kind of happen? I guess a bit of both. Um, it's funny because when I moved to New York when I was 22, so like straight mm -hmm. out of college. And there was a lot, I mean, everybody, we were all young, all the design, but we're all working on cool things. But since Nike wasn't there, you know, it was always this like enigma of like forward design and innovation. And every now and then somebody from New York would, would peel off and like get a job and you'd be like, oh my God, so-and-so is going to work for Nike, you know? And like, it, it was a weird one because we were all still doing amazing things and working for either agencies or brands or whatever, but um, I guess because Nike seems far away, it was on the other end of the coast and quite elusive that, yep. you know, someone would leave the city. Cause you really wouldn't at that time when you're in your twenties, this New York city just felt like this, the center of the universe. So it's like anything to pull you out of there must be, you know, massive. And, you know, you had to be the best of the best to go out to Nike. So when people did leave, it always seemed like a big, big deal, but it was never, I guess it was never on my radar as like, you know, like I aspire to go there. Yeah. But at the same time, I got a call one day from Nike asking if I wanted to come there and I dropped everything literally. I mean, it's, a, it, we could talk a whole other show about how that happened, but I literally was like, long story short, I had like a down payment on a house and all these things going on. 
And I, I called like real estate lawyers and banks and just cut everything and flew out to Nike like the day after the phone call on a Friday and interviewed and just took the job that weekend basically and just stopped everything in New York just to go out to work at Nike. So when, when the opportunity was presented, I did not hesitate. I was like, yes, I have to do this kind of thing. Yeah. So you, you're not kidding. Like you literally just cut the ties of New York. You're like, peace out. I'm now on the other side of the, the country. Yeah, I mean, there was a, a, like a couple factors involved in that. I mean, I had just had a baby and having a kid in New York, in the city is, uh, it was turning out to be a little more difficult than I'd imagined with um, uh-huh. my, my ex at the time. So we were kind of looking actually to flip it and go, we wanted to go to like LA. We really wanted to like just switch coasts and kind of get a more mellow way of life. But I wasn't mm-hmm. having much luck finding work. And then out of the blue Nike called and it was Portland. I'd never been to Portland, but flew out had 24 hours here, <laughs> like pretty whirlwind. I didn't see much, but I was like, yeah, I kind of, it was one of those things where you just like, I have to do this no matter what, if it's a year or two years, whatever, I just like, you I just didn't think I could say no to the opportunity. No, exactly. And you get that gut feeling, you know, when you have to, like, I, I have to do this. Yes, it's going to cost, but I, I got to do this. There's going to be yeah. some cost to it, but let's do it. So was there a, you know, just to linger on this point, just for a minute, yeah. was, was there a, like, were you doing projects, you know, you know, around Nike for a while? Were you sending things into Nike? Like, like, how did this come to be? Like, <laughs> did they find you on LinkedIn? Like, yeah, how did that I mean, come to be? Yeah, this was... It's probably the MySpace era. I mean, it was so long ago. <laughs> they found your MySpace. <laughs> they, found my, they found my Friendster profile. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, again, like, I I was fortunate enough to have a, a – we had a really robust and inclusive uh, design community in New York of some of the most amazing and still to this day some of the, some very large names in the in the industry. But – Everybody was extremely welcoming and also like really there was there wasn't this sense of competition, but more that we're all gonna come up together. So there was our scene was just filled with graphic designers, but everyone was like constantly networking in a good way with each other, like trying to work mm-hmm. together, trying to help each other out. If somebody was looking for a job, you'd connect them with 50 other people. You know, it was like so we just had a there's just such a, a strong design community that when people like i said when when one or two people would peel out you know they would kind of like still check in or visit the city or you know whatever and i think at at the time i was working for the clothing brand american eagle and one of the guys had had gone out to nike and he started like just flowing um like the design human resources department with like all of our portfolios just to Mm -hmm. just for the hell of it, you know, when you get out to Nike, they're always like, Oh, do you have any friends? You know, do you have any talent like you? <laughs> do you have any friends? Yeah. But they're all in New York. So good luck with that. Cause like, you know, it's, it's hard to pull people out of there. And so I think by way of having one friend that put my portfolio just in the hands of HR, um, without me even really realizing it. And then they had contacted me based on the strength of that. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of just went from there. So for me, like, it, I guess you could say it was like I knew I knew people, but like I wasn't I wasn't applying to get to get in there. I wasn't like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I it's the way I look at it now. It's like I I don't know how you would do it 
<laughs> I don't even know how you get in it. Like it's like mind blowing. Yeah, and that's the only way. Like I, I don't. I anybody listening, I don't want it to to seem like the only way you can get a job. There's if you know somebody, because that's not really what I'm saying is. But it's that's just how it happened for you. You knew somebody who put your portfolio in the hands of the right person, and your portfolio was stellar enough to get the right attention. Correct. And then, you know, then it's on you at that point. You got to decide to fly out there. You got to interview well. The, the interview process isn't easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, there, you you know, it's on you after that. So, you, I mean, you can have somebody, you know, get your stuff in, in the hands of others. But at that point, that doesn't guarantee you much, much from that point on. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool, man. Well, we focused on sort of like the the recent, you know, decade and a bit, but I want to kick this back even further, Steve. What was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you down this design and creative career direction? Yeah, hundred percent. I I reflect on that a lot um, throughout my life, like how I got here, what what shaped, you know, my creativity. And I would say I was absolutely creative as a child. Um, I was always drawing. Um, I was always drawing, and I think I have. I think my parents brought it recently. That I have all these drawings of cars. I loved, uh, and I still do actually. Um, like old, like classic muscle cars, and I would just draw them. And I had a subscription to like Hot Rod magazine, and I would just draw cars constantly. I loved going to the races with my dad, and I think when I start to put all that together, I like almost subconsciously when I look at like um sort of like drag race cars or stock cars like there's such a an intense visual language that goes along with that and i think at a young age that was really really attractive to me um i would say simultaneously i got into skateboarding really really early and um when i was like eight or nine years old and this was kind of like the mid to the end of the 80s and skateboarding was huge at the time you know it's the classic like tony hawk era and just the Santa Cruz graphics and Paul Peralta and vision. I mean, the, the, the extreme wealth of visual culture that came with skateboarding and still does, but especially at that time was again, so powerful and attractive to me that I think that was one of the big reasons I was so into skating is that it wasn't just the skateboard. You got the skateboard, but there was all the graphics. There was the t-shirts, there were stickers. There was just so much stimulus. That was what I just like was obsessed with. So yeah, I would say all of those things kind of rolled up, kickstarted maybe my creativity from like a young age. Yeah, that's for sure. And you know when you when you say like that Tony Hawk era, um, it reminds me. I think recent. I think it's like the twenty fifth anniversary of like the first Tony Hawk video game, like when that <laughs> first hit. I think that's this year because he's been doing like all of the, you know, doing the tour of all like the talk shows and stuff, mm-hmm. like doing his PR thing. And, but it, I watching that recently, it caused me to sort of look back at that first video game and how awesome that was Yeah, and how that, like took that, that skate culture from, you know, you know, this, this little like underground thing that was like really cool. And if you were a skate guy, you knew that it was awesome, but the rest mm-hmm. of the world was really aware of it to like all of a sudden, boom, it's on this huge stage. And people are diving into it and consuming it more. And it just took this huge growth curve. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So Steve, on this path, on this journey, is there one specific design or illustration or 
or something like that that stands out as the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you since? Um, yeah, I guess so. And this still, to me, starts to, if you, if I move from my childhood to like teen and high school, like what started like, like moving it from just something I did on the side to like something that I was like, I should do this for a living. And mm -hmm. again, it was like, you move from when I'm a kid in the, the 80s skate culture to what we're kind of talking about now is like, you know, like the 90s skate culture and the, the Tony Hawk video game. And mm -hmm. when I started really paying attention, you you had a lot, you had graphic design kind of moving from its infancy. I say it from like, you know, like computer graphic design. I know it's been around for a lot longer, but you think about the the way the 80s were very illustrative in um in the culture and then you had a lot more like traditional graphic design sensibilities moving their way into skate culture right around the time that i'm like 16 17 18 years old mm -hmm. and there's two skateboard companies that really were like were doing that and that was alien workshop and habitat which they're kind of brother sister companies but at the time um don pendleton was doing a lot of the graphics and if you look up don's work it was very, very flat, very, very graphic, and just extremely interesting to me. And I think that that aesthetic clicked with me really. I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, it, like I, as much as I drew as a kid, I, I would never consider myself an illustrator. I still don't think I have very good drawing skills. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I saw how you could break what I would assume as traditional illustration into more graphic design as illustration or as art. And then I saw that, I was like, oh man, like, that's it. You know, that's my thing. And it was kind of like, just straight, straight ahead from there. Yeah. That's sort of just like lit the fire that, that transition, that, that connection between those, those different, I guess you could say not styles, but those different genres of design. Yeah, for sure. So during this this path, you've got this skateboard culture. You're always drawn as a kid. You know you're you're starting to immerse yourself into the creative of you know that skateboard culture. Is there like an an aunt or an uncle or a teacher or a parent or somebody who says you should really look at this as a career? Like you've got the chops for this. Sort of. It's funny because I just reconnected with my old high school art teachers, kind of about the same subject. Um, and in a, in a very quick version of it, like I was a skateboarder all throughout high school, pretty diehard, you know, mm -hmm. like didn't think of anything else was like an okay student. I could float by and like, you know, I wasn't, you know, getting straight A's, but I wasn't failing, you know? Um, but it wasn't until senior year that I was like, oh shit, like I have to go to college next. Like, and I wasn't thinking about that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went to like a college prep. This was also very lucky of me. I went to a college prep sort of high school. So we were allowed to fill out our schedules for senior year. You pick all your electives and whatnot and nothing interested me. I didn't want to take any more math, like no like chemistry or physics or I was just, I just wanted to get it over with. But mm -hmm. I was like, you know, and I had weirdly up to that point, I still had never taken an art class at my school. And as a sidebar that my high school is also um, like a, I don't even know, like nationally accredited high school for the arts. So nice. So the students that were there that came in as freshmen had started building their college portfolios as freshmen, if not earlier, and were refining them for four years so they could get into the big, like the school 
sent the, the art the art class, you know, what gave them the prestige is that the students go on to RISD and SVA and all the big art schools. Um, so it's a bit intimidating if you sort of casually do art, but not really. So I never really took an art class because I'm like, well, I, I didn't really think of it as a career. I wasn't thinking about a career to begin with. So, uh-huh. um, so I, long story short, I fill out my schedule for senior year. I'm like, oh, screw it. I'll just take all these like art classes because that looks fun. You know, it's my last year of high school and I'll just sign up for a bunch of classes. So the, one of the teachers comes and finds me and she's like, hey, like we noticed that you signed up for every art class we offer. We have no idea who you are. Like, what are you trying to do with <laughs> these art classes? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to take some art. Maybe I'll go to art school. I don't know. And she's like, well, she's like, well, we don't, that's not how it works. Like, do you want to go to art school? And I was like, I don't want to go to a university. If that's what you mean, I'd rather be more focused. And she's like, <laughs> yes. So she's like, all right, we're going to unenroll you in all these just random art classes that you should have taken over the last three years of your life. And we're going to put you in a, what we call advanced portfolio class. It's one class, but it's, it's literally for all the kids who have been building their art over three years to refine it, to look at college admissions. Do you need a self-portrait? Do you need a painting? Like all the different requirements. And she's like, you have to do all of that in the next like eight months. You have to do 13 pieces of art for, <laughs> yeah. And they were like, if you are down and serious, we will be just as serious with you. And I, at that moment, it all kind of clicked. So if you're looking, I was like, yes, I'm, I'm into this. So that was like the end of my junior year. But I signed up to go to summer school where I went back to high school and the teachers were there. And we just started drawing and painting and they were, it took figure drawing. It's like, I was just like, what do I got to do? Like, how fast can I get this done? And they stuck with me and they literally helped me just like guide me through every single piece of art that I was making to make sure it was right. So had I not, had they just kind of looked the other way, I was like, well, we have 35 other serious art students. We're not going to waste our time with this dude, you know, cause he hasn't put in the years of work. Uh-huh. They could be like, well, too bad. You know, you missed out, you know, I don't, it's one of those fork in the road moments where it's like kind of scary. What would have been the other path, you know, had they not stopped and like said, okay, we're going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And that's, you know, so incredible when you reflect back on, you know, certain decisions in life and how did you end up in a certain spot? You know, you, you do, you get these distinct forks in the road. Like if these, if these instructors didn't just like take me and guide me through this process, you know, when they could have, like, they could have just not, they could have just said, sorry, but oh, I didn't put the work in. Like, what, what would be the direction now? Where would you be now? Dude, I have no idea. That's like, that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Like, that's a, it's a cool, you know, just that, thinking back to, you know, what, not necessarily what could have been, but just, Gosh, thankfully they they made that decision to they they saw something in you. Yeah. I think they just yeah, I don't know, maybe they just felt sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all got together and said this guy does not have the academic chops. We got to help him through this art stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, I, I'll um, take it. That works for dude, me. No kidding. No kidding, right? Um, Steve, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to or closely follow now? And what is it about them that you like? Now, what, what's interesting actually about this question is a lot of times when I ask guests this, they will say Nike. <laughs> so what do you got, Steve? Uh, I, <laughs> I won't say Nike. 
<laughs> too close to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I do look up to. I look up to. I do look up to Nike. Absolutely. Every day, I'm amazed at what what we do there and the people. You know, it's it's hard to not have imposter syndrome when you're surrounded by. Um, I think our design team is over 600. So 600 of some of the most like brilliant designers you've ever worked with. You know. Wow. Um, yeah, it's wild. It's it's a. I try to describe it a bit like maybe working for NASA and Disneyland at the same time. It's just a magical, insane, innovative, um, yeah, just exciting place to be. So, yeah, I mean, Nike's for sure there. It wasn't on my mind when I when I was thinking about the question, but mm-hmm. um, I think I, I, I grounded that question into more of an individual versus yeah. like a bigger brand. And for yeah, me, um, I really look up to um, an artist and designer – named Cody Hudson. Um, Cody over the years is just, he's just balanced the fine art world, the graphic design world. He's, he's worked across multiple mediums on top of that. He's just a really authentic, honest, and just genuine human. And I think that level of uh, personality comes through in his work. And I think that I, I like, we were all inspired. I think there was a generation of us in New York. He was a little bit older than us that were very inspired by the path that he was kind of leading. We we're like, okay, that's how it's done kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I, when I, when I just, I'm still, I still love uh, his work. I'm still excited by his work. So yeah, Cody for sure. One of like, just, he's going to be, there is one of the all time greats in everything he does. I just, I think is, is, is just magical. It's great. That's awesome. I'm not familiar with Cody, but I'm definitely going to look him up when we're done here because that sounds yeah. like a, like a just awesome creative. Yeah, I mean, in t- in terms of all the just the breadth of aesthetics that he can he can do, he can toggle the commercial world. He's got his fine art practice. He does sculpture, drawing. You know, it's just really, but it all comes from like a very like his point of view. Like it all looks like him, and that's what I love about it. It's like it's like I said, it's it's very real. It's honest. He's He's just, you see his personality in it and it's refreshing. Like he's not trying to be anybody but himself and mm-hmm. he's got his thing. And that, that to me is what's the most inspiring thing about his design or design in general could be. Awesome. Well, Steve, we got to get into some of the tough stuff now. I've got a couple <laughs> of questions here that'll take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out of you. Then we'll turn this around and finish up in a happy place. All right. So first up, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Um, challenging. Mm. That's a good one. Um, I would honestly, I go back to, cause I don't, when I think about my time in New York, it was, it was just all hustle in such a fun way that it was challenging, but it, it felt natural. So it wasn't like, wow. oh, I'm so stressed out to make this work. It was like, this is so much fun. How can I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Cause this is <laughs> like the greatest thing ever, which I would never do now. But like when you're young, that's, we just, we were eating it up. But I, I, I kind of think about a time about the midpoint when I was about five years in at Nike and I just felt stalled out. I felt mm-hmm. like, um, I was getting moved into areas that I 
didn't have much personal interest in. So my work wasn't kind of reflecting that. Um, I was kind of in a pool at the time of designers that we were all competing for, you know, as, as you, as you work up at Nike, the, you know, art director, director spots, get, you know, more limited. Uh -huh. And at the time I believe I was a senior graphic designer and there's quite a few of us, you know, all gunning for the same art director roles. And I saw other people getting these roles and, you know, me falling behind or, you know, I was building, you build a year long reputation with your creative director and then that person would move on to another role and you just start from zero with like the new creative director that comes back in that has no idea who you are. And, um, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was, working with another senior graphic designer, but he was already like in on the path to director and was making me send him my work every single night, which I'd never done before. And I was just so like, this isn't what I'm doing. Like you're my peer, but yet you want to see what I'm doing every day. It was very awkward and very odd. Mm -hmm. And um, I, that was at the time where I was like, maybe this, maybe I'm done here. You know, like, this is it. Mm -hmm. Like, like I got to move on. Um, um, luckily I didn't. <laughs> things, <laughs> yeah, luckily you stuck with it. Things changed not too far long after that. But in the, when you're in those moments, you just feel like this is it because you're looking around you and like, you know, the realities are very clear at that point. And then you're sort of like, well, do I just do this? It's comfortable, but I'm kind of miserable or mm -hmm. do I stick it out? And, you know, just hope like how much hope can you have before you're just destroyed i don't know yeah um and, but yeah like stuck it out i guess and that that transition though from designer to director um is it can go two ways i mean some people absolutely love the transition love the sort of higher level responsibility and sort of overseeing mm -hmm. a team rather than, you know, being one of the guys who are there creating the work. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. other really talented designers have a hard time with that transition because they're not, they're no longer making the work. They're sort of directing the work. Oh, a thousand percent. How did you find that for you? Me personally, I always felt my stronger suit would be a director than designer. I felt like mm -hmm. I was able, to, I'm able to like get, get by sounds kind of crappy, but like, I just felt like I could recognize talent and curate talent for like what I could see in my head for the project. I knew there'd be other people that could do it better or do it mm -hmm. to the vision that I was thinking versus me doing it. So I always mm -hmm. felt like direction and curation was my strongest suit. It was just the road to get there was just very long. And I was like, once I get there, like this will make more sense. Like, yes, I love designing. I absolutely like putting pen to paper, but like I said, when you get to somewhere like Nike and you can see all that talent around you and you're like, wow, that's a good idea. That person should be making this. And like, if, if I start coming up with the ideas and have someone else execute them, I actually love that. And I love right now what I love is like, if I can just go up to a designer and there's they're they're at that 80, 90% finish phase, but they just can't get it over the finish line. They're struggling. And I, and I, and I just can see it with a fresh eye and just be like, well, if you move this over there or change this typeface to this, it's going to be super good. And they do that and they get super excited. Like, I don't want to tell them how to design the whole thing. I just kind of like fine tuning it. But yeah. I also, I also know that it's not, 
a like innate sort of it's 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 not like an apples to apples job from designer to director and unfortunately that's your only career path somewhere like nike is like you go designer and then you become a director and I, it's difficult to make that transition for certain people who just love to create and mm-hmm. also don't manage people that well that's another that's a whole other skill like i'm pretty much a full-time psychologist hundred percent. It's totally different. But what you find is when you make that transition, it's either going to be more fulfilling or less fulfilling. And there's no like, yeah, this feels about the same. Yeah, no, it's, it's literally just completely, you go on a completely different career path at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in, but like I said, that was my goal. I was, I had been sort of, if you, if you look at like vertically, I had been a senior graphic designer in New York for a long time. So I was done in my mind. And when I had gone to Nike, the goal immediately was like, I wanted, like, I took a senior role, but I was like, I'm only going to do this for a year. And then I'm going to be an art director. That's my goal. I just, all I wanted to do is be an art director for Nike. And then I'll go wherever else I'll do whatever else, but I just want to get that on my resume. Just like a personal goal to say I was an art director at Nike. And I thought it would happen in like literally a year. I was like, okay, like I'm already a senior. I've been a senior designer for like five years. I've done everything I can do. Like I'm ready for the next thing. This is the next, this is the place that'll take me there. And it just took way longer than I had expected. Uh But now that I'm, now that I got there, like, yeah, it's like, it's awesome. I absolutely love everything I do. Beautiful. So for this next one, Steve, I want to get a little bit more specific. Can you take us to a specific design or a specific project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result? What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us there? Um, yeah, I think there's a few of these moments that happen, um, you know, throughout my career, I would say more so at Nike in the last 10 years. You mean, you you definitely will go down what you think is um, like an, an amazing idea or you're building out a whole story or a narrative around something that just for one reason or another may get scrapped, doesn't make it to market, gets cut just pure capacity or just people aren't feeling it. And I think I think the best thing you can do for that is just build kind of thick skin and just be able to roll with it and then move on to the next project and make that one like um, just as good. It, it, it can, it can be stressful. I, I, if you want like a very specific example, I think the hardest pill for me to swallow, I was um, my first art director role was actually for Nike skateboarding, uh-huh. which I thought was, you know, this was like the best thing ever because all roads are now converging. It's not even work anymore. I just, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Go to work. I hang out with skateboarders and we talk about skateboarding and we watch skateboard videos. And then I just draw skateboarding t-shirts and like hang out with my favorite pro skateboarders. And like, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, I think we had designed uh, the entire line and we invited all dude, so many, God, like every, every, the team was huge, maybe like 20 pro skateboarders to like, like, like preview the line to you. I was so excited. And man, these dudes just shit all over it. And I was just oh, like, no. so bummed, you know? And I was just like, man. And you know what, what I tried to do was just one, not get too defensive and just kind of listen to like, you know, and in, in my mind, I cleaned up a lot from the, from like, you know, where it had been. And I was like, I was like, I know this thing cause I'm a skateboarder. And 
you know, this is going to be, they're going to love it, you know, and, mm. you know, it's, it didn't, it didn't quite go that way, but I think I just tried to listen to the feedback as much as possible. And then for the next, you know, season, take all that into account and then go from there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you're presenting what you think is a slam dunk. In front, in front of 20 plus pro skateboarders and yeah. and total curveball it was not received as you thought it would be no and I, I literally maybe i was just way too like of my own ass at that point to because i was like again <laughs> like, i don't know i was given free reign to like when i when they put me as the director of, of skateboarding they're like do whatever you want like my boss at the time was amazing in the fact that she didn't really want to have much to do with it and she's like, whatever you do, I'll support. So she was kind of out of the picture. So I was like, cool. Yeah. Like, I'm basically just creating my own skate brand. I've known this should be easy. I've known this world since I was 10 years old. And I'm also going to merge it with my favorite design aesthetics. And it's going to be like the Bauhaus meets Swiss design meets skateboarding. And everyone's going to love it. And it's going to be, you know, people are going to put me on their shoulders and carry, carry me out of the building. I save skateboarding and all that. <laughs> but when these guys came in and it was, it was a little more loose. It wasn't like I presented like the, 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 all the clothes were up and they, it was more like just casually. They're just grabbing shirts and they're, I'm just sort of mingling and you can just hear conversations like, Oh, this is shit. What is this? This looks like, <laughs> this looks like what a garbage man would wear. I think that was like a utility, like a moving truck company. I was just like, Oh my God. I was like, wow, I didn't think of any of this stuff. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So then next season you, you go back at it and the second attempt better received. Yeah. You know, you just refine from there. And there's like, like I said, I just tried to listen to what they were, what honestly, what they were picking apart wasn't, wasn't so much, you know, the aesthetic. It was maybe just some of the, the, the content I was putting in or mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of nuances that I could, we could discuss forever, but essentially I was, I was like, very much into paying attention to what they were saying and how I could tweak it from that point on. Like everything was just Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if you think about like, if you're in a music studio and it's just like, you can't push all the dials up to 11 and make a good song. You got to like, you know, bring up, bring, bring things down, up, down, you know, the whole equalizer kind of thing. So I went kind of back and like, yeah, like think about music and the equalizer, like not every button is just going to be screaming at 11 or just give noise and static. Mm -hmm. So it was just dialing things up, dialing things down in the right places and just, you know, getting it right. No, I like that comparison for sure. So last question on the tough stuff is what is something you're struggling with in your design career right now? Um, being a designer, I think. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, straight up. What? No, straight up. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, um, like literally like what I love about like the literal pen and paper. Like I, I'm not as, you know, literally making, making like the physical thing um, kind of like literally anywhere, you know, whether it be just on my own or for work. And like I said, I love what I do at work, but I, I, I miss playing around with type and layout and like all these fun things. I mean, I make a ton of decks and I try and get creative with those just, my own personal satisfaction but i think that's what i ended up doing with my instagram is i just took everything down that was sort of uh more commercial or work related and i just gave myself this like 
library of things to, so I could just have a place to just go. And what I've been calling is like graphic meditation. I could put my phone down at night and like just play around with some color, some shape and some type to still feel connected to it. Um, mm -hmm. Because that feeling still really excites me, but I didn't, I don't have like direct briefs anymore the way maybe I, I, I used to, but I'm working you know, creatively in other areas. So it's, there's just that little, that, that part of it. Like, I'm fulfilled in so many other areas, but I still love to just literally like mess around with with the typeface and you know move some color around. You know, it's just little things like that. Yeah, just staying in it, staying in it, and continuing yeah. to to test and tune, and you know, because that's how something might come up. You're like, oh damn, that is a good fit for something. Yeah, and and that's honestly what 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 I'm doing now. I mean, I don't I don't I don't really know what I don't have an outcome. I guess it's just. It's just a way for me to explore and just feel connected to art and design in a way mm -hmm. where I just felt through all lockdown. All I was doing was like scrolling and saving so, so much awesome design. I was like, wait a second. Like I'm not even doing my own design anymore. Like I need to just stop sitting on my phone and looking at other people's really amazing work and maybe just have fun doing my own. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's, again, well, I wasn't going to say like, I'm not doing that in my, my day job, but there's just a lot of, a large part of what I'm doing cannot be, I guess what you'd classify as consumer facing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, Steve, I'm going to turn this bus around for you. I want you now to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing. Um, absolutely. Um, it's called artist in residence or luckily enough that is an acronym for air. So it really worked out well working at Nike. Nice. Um, yeah, I know. We almost thought that was too on the nose, but I was like, no, we have to go with this. It's just too <laughs> it is too good. Yeah. So um, I was, again, um, at some, I moved, when I moved from skateboarding, I, I went over to direct Nike running. And when I was in running, there was a bit of an ask to bring, uh, it's always a funny one. I, you rarely meet VPs even for running and, you know, he was all excited that I was coming from skateboarding and I got into his office and he's like, make running like skateboarding. And I was like, I don't know what that means. That that's <laughs> ambiguous thing. Because what I, like I said, what I was doing with skateboarding was actually doing really minimal, clean, simple design work, which I wanted like the Nike skateboarding line to look like. It wasn't. And when it, when I, when I, I guess I think about like an outsider's point of view of skateboarding, they think of like, flying skulls and snakes and you know uh -huh. shit like that so when when somebody from is like make it like skate i'm like well what do you mean because what i've been doing is like super minimal and like type-based i'm pretty sure you don't really mean that you want what essentially i feel like people are saying is they want graphic energy and they really don't know how to express that and, the, and a place that always has good graphic energy is skate culture so i try to just break that down in my mind okay like what do they really mean here like all their clothes are pretty basic and that's fine they need a couple of capsules that turn it up a little bit um bring some youth and energy um and one of the areas that kind of pitched was doing collaborations for a performance product or a running product usually when nike does collaborations they tend to be in a more lifestyle way or almost in a think of it in a way that's almost unattainable if like uh somebody like virgil Abloh or drake does a collaboration the 
it's it's difficult to even get the product and usually it doesn't land in a performance a pure performance way i guess uh-huh. or like a democratic way like you couldn't just go to like a nike store or you, wherever you get a nike product and find like a good collaboration because we, we we do a, we we pitch those and we put them in a very like high regard but i thought you know what if we did it the way we do it in skate is we just team up with you know our friends that are amazing artists and we just put it on the, the product that goes into you know the inline what you'd say is just it's available to everybody mm-hmm. um and they like immediately on board and um hard thing to do is to sell something like that a new idea to the, the business at nike because there's risk involved uh-huh. you know and risk is a lot of money on the table luckily it didn't it didn't require a lot of upfront investment from my business partners a couple just a couple of styles from their line plan but those styles created a ton of buzz and energy for a category that they felt was a little lacking even though it's like you know what nike's known for is you know running it's a running company uh-huh. didn't quite have the same sort of energy or, or youthfulness maybe as like skate or basketball or something so that was like huge for that category who had never really thought of their product in a way that we could get um true artistic or art collaboration to go on running product and that's we kicked off two or three 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 years ago now and it's been going ever since and i've worked with some of the most some of my favorite creatives that i've ever met i've created some really amazing friendships out of it um the the program is probably stronger than ever at this point we have a lot more um backing from the business and from executive leadership at nike's all over it so uh-huh. yeah that's probably one of probably my single like you know greatest achievements maybe or the thing i'm most proud of is being able to bring all these artists into the mix and curate uh, curate the work um, guide the work uh, and then and then be able to deliver to to whoever wants it it doesn't become this exclusive limited thing which i think is great when yeah that's amazing yeah. Yeah. And I love the term that you used, you know, when you first sat down with that VP where they said, you know, make running like skate culture. And you're like, no, no, no. You mean the graphic energy. You want some graphic energy put into it. And and that's what you executed on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, we definitely, we brought it in a couple other aspects, but I think at, at that point it's just, just understanding what that means from a different perspective, I, I should say. And, you know, that that was one of the areas that we had been really successful with in skateboarding is you, a lot of collaborations just naturally happen because skate culture is full of really amazing visual artists who come from the skate world. And it's just, it just goes hand in hand. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't, it's not as maybe like the first thing you think about with running, but when you start getting into running, you notice that maybe a lot of skaters grew up and started switching over to running or also run or just want to participate in something other than skateboarding for a change. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of different, um, different ways artists got involved that, you know, they're like, Hey, I don't run, but I love, I love to do something other than what I'm traditionally asked to do. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Um, so Steve, I want to switch over here now to, a possibly a a book or a blog or a podcast or something, something that you read or consumed recently um, that you really enjoyed or you really turned a light bulb on for you. Um, hmm. 
Um, I, I'd say the last thing I, I did read was um, the book by Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. It's called Girl in a Band. Um, that was just, I mean, I'm super into, you know, punk and all different indie music and always loved Sonic Youth. So, uh-huh. yeah, it, I, don't, I don't know if it really, like, I don't know. She's such an amazing person and visual artist and just uh, all around rad human. Yeah, it's just it's it's when you read other stories, I think it 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 gives you that that push to keep going in a way. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can get kind of like caught in your ways or sluggish, and then you read an inspiring story of another creative, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna I gotta step it up again, or you know, that that sort of kind of mentality. It's it's really great to to get refreshed. Totally. It almost like takes you back to a time where, you know, you were faced with adversity and you conquered something. And it's been a while since, you know, you've run into something like that, but it sort of reignites that fire of, you know, what, what do I want to conquer next? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Love it. So Steve, I put this next question in as just sort of a, uh, just something fun, something, you know, personally that I, I'm always curious about. Um, it's actually one of my, one of my openers whenever I, um, you know, I'm doing a you know sales meeting with a prospect or something like that. You know, I, I, I throw them this sort of obscure question. It's, you know, what's your best joke? Do you have a, you have a joke on tap? You got something that really resonates <laughs> with you? I admittedly have a ton of on the fly, bad dad jokes because as a dad, that's just what Those happens. Are the best, man. That's my jam right there. And you know, my favorite is now the kids just eye roll at me. Like they get, they get how bad they are. Um, yep. But put on the spot. I don't, I don't have anything on the fly. Um, I mean, yeah, no, unless you want to hear like some really corny ones, but <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I will, uh, Even if you had like a dad joke on tap, I love that. I'll tell you one of my go-tos after this. Yeah, I guess this can be like uh, this is more of a bad design slash dad joke, and it would, I guess, it goes. Um, Comic Sans walks into a bar, and the bartender serve says, "We don't serve your kind. We don't serve your type here." All right, fuck that up. <laughs> we don't serve your type. <laughs> we don't serve your type here. <laughs> no. That's funny. My my uh, one. Of- you can eye roll at that one. Is what it is. Yeah, my the one that I have um, is also a walk into the bar joke, and it's um, let me get this right because I often mess it up. It's um, <laughs> Bono and the Edge walk into a bar. <laughs> it's already good. Bartender looks over and goes, "Oh no, not you two. <laughs> so many levels, so many levels yeah. to that. <laughs> That's a good one. It doesn't have to be good. Just has to, has to make you Gotta think. <laughs> That's right. All right, man. Well, you've reached the point of the show for the ask it forward question. This is where I have a question for you from my last guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay. Um, so earlier in this episode, we were talking about how you used to draw cars. As a kid, you really like drawing cars. Mm-hmm. Um, are you to F1 at all or have followed F1? Um, no, actually, that's probably one of the, I have friends that do. So we were actually just discussing it this weekend and she was filling me in on, um, a lot about F1 actually, but it's one, it's one of the, one of the areas that I actually don't follow as religiously. Ironically, I follow NASCAR pretty close. 
Oh yeah, and nice. Everybody gives me a lot of shit for that because they don't really, you know, think that I would be into NASCAR, but I am. <laughs> there you go, you're a NASCAR guy at heart. Yeah. So um, your friend might have told you about the Haas F1 team, and my last guest was Ryan Long, who's the creative services manager for the Haas F1 team, responsible for car graphics, uniform graphics. What does the oh, pit man. look like? Like all of that stuff. He's, he's responsible for that. That's a dream job. I need to switch careers with him. <laughs> there you go. There's that next level. Yeah. So he wanted to ask you, what are your best tips on guiding the client to the design that you want them <laughs> to pick? So if you're presenting oh, two or three, yeah, what's yeah. the sales angle to guide them to where you oh. want them to end up? I've been doing this forever. It's called, it's called the red herrings. Um, I don't know. If, okay. So a long time ago, I was actually in college. I think college there was, a, this goes back to skateboarding as well, but it, there was a skateboard magazine called big brother. I don't know if you've heard of big brother, No. but uh, okay. Uh, big, it, it, it no longer exists, but during its time, it was published by hustler magazine. So, nice. The content of Big Brother was satirical, was, I don't even, edgy, like, it was a lot about, it was the 90s, so it was about, like, drug use and just, like, the most absurd, insane thing you just wouldn't find in a printed magazine, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just, these dudes were just, like, hilarious writers, but really writing about some crazy thing. And, you know, as, like, an 18-year-old male, you just think of the, how funny it is that all this, you know, dumb things. Um, they end up getting published or picked up. They were kind of an independent and then Hustler starts publishing them. When Hustler gets involved, they are slightly more corporate than they, than the guys at Big Brother expected. And the, the, the publisher wanted to see three different covers of the magazine, you know, to choose from same thing like options and Big mm -hmm. Brother was known for having pretty outrageous covers. So, what they would do is just create two really, you know, lame covers and one cover that they really wanted to, and they would call those two and every, and they would publish, they would publish the ones that they would, they would have a whole section called the red herrings. And they would talk about how they would, you know, create these really lame covers because they, you know, they had to create three anyway and, you know, to get to the one they wanted. So I've always kind of stuck with that. So I always giggle to myself sometimes when you have to create options to create the red herrings. So, you know, create some options that steer your client towards the better one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love it. I don't so know if that's the best advice. I don't work with a lot of clients anymore. I don't, you know, disclaimer, I don't really do that in my Nike work. It's not how I operate at Nike. But uh, back in my, you know, freelance days in New York, there was definitely a lot of red herrings to just pitch the idea that I loved and then just kind of, you know, make the other two a little less desirable. So the other one just stood out a little more. Red herrings. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. All right, Steve, what is the question you would like me to ask the next guest for you? Um, it would be, and for me, it's, it's, it's almost what we talked about very, very early on, but I guess my path has been very singular. I haven't really thought about what, what else there would have been or what else I would do um, if I wasn't doing this. So I think that's an interesting way to learn about somebody is if you weren't, you know, in a creative industry, what would you have done? 
say say this doesn't exist as a viable career path like what what would you do and it can be as you know i would say as fantastical or hypothetical as possible but just it just kind of opens up sort of another side to a designer um like personally i would have a goat cheese farm i have no idea how that would happen i don't know anything about goat cheese or goats but i think romantically it would sound really nice and it would be the exact that's awesome of, you know, that's sort of designer. Like one of the random ideas that I had is, you know, I wanted to own um, a olive orchard or a lemon orchard in right, Italy yeah. somewhere. So somebody's be like, "Hey, so what do you do?" Like, oh, I own a lemon orchard. Like, yeah. who do you know like, that a, owns a lemon orchard? Right. Like, I have a lavender farm. You know, something super random. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yours would be like, I, I'm, I am a goat cheese farmer. Yeah, and it, like you know, I've worked out this fantasy in my head. It'd have really great packaging because I am a graphic designer, and I'd just sell Absolutely. it all to Portland farmers markets, and I'd you mm -hmm. know have a little story behind it, and it'd, it'd be wonderful. But you know, I have, don't have the slightest idea how any of that would actually work. But I think it's a very nice idea to have in my head. Still time, bro. Still time. <laughs> I'm you know I think about that all the time as well. I could you know just retire and have my little goat cheese farm, and life would be great. The little goat cheese farm in suburban Portland. Sure. It's not bad. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> awesome. Steve, you have reached the end of the quickie podcast, man. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been awesome. Absolutely. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. All right. That is the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. And again, June 22nd, the Craft Beer Label Design Course launches again, a leveled up version 2.0. And if you want to get on the wait list and start that label design training, head over to printdesignacademy.com and sign up for the free guide there where we walk you through label designs, how they were made, the inks used, little file setup tips, and all of that stuff printdesignacademy.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.